Yeah. Because the word is what brings life and changes lives and gives hope. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. I'm reading King James. It says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Man, I don't, we, don't, we don't like that these days. He requires something of me. You know, a lot of, a lot of organizations, religions, they'll just kind of preach the, just the, the grace and love and truth, which is important, and we need that. But he also has some requirements. There's also some things that I love, I adore my children, and I will do anything. But there's also some requirements that I have of my kids. And uh, on my way out, actually, there's going to be a few pairs of shoes that need to be carried upstairs. So that's a requirement. And so he says, require thee, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him. To serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. To keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. This evening, I want to just preach on this topic. Five things God wants from us. Five things. Just hold up your hand like this. That's five things that God wants from us. Lord, thank you so much. For everyone who is here, either in person or online, bless the youth in their breakout session. Bless the children's ministry in their rock church and the response of those kids and what they're getting ready to hear and feel in your presence and your spirit, Lord. But God, let that not just be limited to the lower level. Let us feel that here. Let people watching online also feel that. That beautiful, wonderful presence that only can come when your spirit touches our lives and impacts us in such a real and marvelous way. God, I pray, let me be anointed as I speak your word. Actually, let you even be the one to speak through me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God had freed his people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt after 430 years of bondage. He then delivered them from the Egyptian army as he parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. His desire through all of this was not just to give them a bag of miracles and a magic show so that they could write home about it. He was, I'm taking you out of a land of bondage into a place of promise. I'm taking you from where you used to be to a place where I want to take you, and it'll be a whole life change. He does that in our lives today, too. He takes us out of places of bondage and sin and hopelessness, and then he makes a way where there is no way, and we walk through into things that we never thought we'd, we'd have in our grasp. And so his desire was to take them to a land of promise. The Bible says a land flowing with milk and honey. But then, like humans, we sometimes, humanity gets in the way. I don't know if you can say that. I can say that in my life, that I have a desire from where God took me from, where I want to go. But every once in a while, I just trip. And so they doubted. And worse yet, they completely disobeyed God. When Moses went up the mountain to receive God's law for their lives on concrete tablets, the Israelites said, you know what, we, we want a God. He's been gone a while. A while is like 40 days, you know. If we want to hear from God, anybody else like that? You know, like I asked God like 45 minutes ago, he still hasn't answered. Well, he wasn't gone that long, but they said we need to build a, a, a golden ark and just begin to worship around it. So they built this, this, this calf, this golden calf, not golden ark, golden calf, and they start dancing around it, and they're worshiping pagan gods. Can you imagine this? The people are worshiping a false gold calf 
while Moses is just up that mountain getting a word from God for the people. And then from what we can understand, he comes down and just hurls those things and shatters that Patrick Mahomes would have, uh, he would have an issue. There'd be competition for his job if Moses was still around. You can take a, a concrete tablet and chuck that thing with that kind of accuracy. Patrick would be on the bench. Moses comes down and he, he hurls it and he breaks that golden calf. And then he immediately goes before God because God is getting ready to destroy the people. And Moses in Deuteronomy 9.23, Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, uh, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. You believed him not. You didn't hearken to his voice. You have been a rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Thus I fell down before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights as I fell down at first because the Lord said he was going to destroy you. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of human beings, maybe some of us in this room, that if God said, I'm sick of them, I'm going to destroy them, but I'm going to keep you and you're going to be on my side, we'd be like, sweet, when's the fireworks start? Moses says, no. He begins to intercede. That's where we sometimes we throw away around terms that we don't really fully understand. But when someone will say, oh, you stood in the gap, that's, that's kind of what he did here. He, he stood in that gap and said, no, let me begin to intercede and, and talk to you and remind you about the promises that you've given your people and what that would make you look like, God, to the other nations. And Lord, forgive us, God. And he begins to intercede. And don't tell us, don't tell me that our prayers don't have power with God because God has mercy and grace. In Deuteronomy 10, at that time, the Lord said to me, hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, which I like that because guess what? If, there, if I said, who here wants to hear from the Lord? I think most of us would raise our hands or say amen online. We all want to hear from God, but notice he said, you want to hear from me, there's preparation involved. Hew out two tables of stone and bring those because I'm going to write on those stones. And I'm, going to, and I'm going to give you another message for the people. But in order to get that, he, have you ever, I, I've never done it, but I can't imagine trying to hew out stones and prepare a tablet for God to write on. My, my thought is that's not an easy job. They didn't have a DeWalt power tool. But Moses had to prepare to receive a word from God. And I will write on the tables the words that were in the first tablets that brokest, breakest. Thank God for King James English. What did you breakest? I'm going to go to the ER. I breakest something. And thou shalt put them in an ark. And after God gives him the law on those new tables of stone, the Bible tells us about what God says to Moses. That second time up the mountain in Deuteronomy 10.10. And I stayed in the mount, according to the first time, 40 days and 40 nights. I can't imagine. If, if I was Moses, I'd be going, oh, Lord, what am I, I going to walk back to this time? It happened last time. You know, I wonder if there was any nerves as he was like, it's the 28th day. I wonder what they're doing down there. And the Lord said to me, arise, take thy journey before the people that they may go in and possess the land. See, because it wasn't just about a golden calf or uh, even, even a tabernacle or it wasn't, it wasn't just about the law. It was about the fact that, hey, let's not lose sight of the, the, the big thing here. 
And that is, I delivered you from bondage to give you what I promised Abraham a long time ago. A land flowing of milk and honey. A land that, that you will always be yours. You will be a free people. It's a land of promise. And I want you to not just taste that. I want you to possess that. So he says to Moses, go down and tell him, it's time to go possess the land that God has always wanted to give us. And so, too often God has promises for us, but we're not willing to stand up and go possess the promise. How many unclaimed promises right now, how many unclaimed promises are in your life right now because you have not yet possessed them? Maybe this is why before God tells Moses about possessing the land, he starts, with the, sen- he starts the sentence with arise. If I said, who here tonight wants to possess the promise? Woo! But it starts with arise. That's a personal responsibility that he has placed on us. We all want to just talk about how great God is. God does this. God is a God of grace, God of mercy, God of love. And he is those things. And I'm thankful for those things. But there are things that he says, arise. That is, that's not God. That's, that's him saying, I have a plan for you. But what does it start with? It starts with you doing something. Arise. And so God doesn't stop his conversation with Moses right there. God now begins to list the requirements for his people. And I think it's pertinent for us today because God still, it's not leaving Egyptian bondage and going to a new place. God's not calling anybody to move, even though a whole bunch of people are moving lately. I'll just, just stop moving, okay? That's why we need some move-ins. Don't let God convict you now, okay? I'm just... There are things that God is wanting you and I to do. Things that God wants us to possess. Things that God is calling us to be and to step out. He's calling us to arise. And I want to get up and go possess my promise. I want to go and... I I, I don't know about you, but I want to see things that I've just never seen before. I want to be a part of things that I've never been a part of before. I want to hear things from God that I've never heard before. I want to feel things I've never felt. How do we do that? How do we possess the promise? I think that we could sit here and say, awesome, great, this sounds amazing, but how? Okay, just tell me what to do. Well, I think he does. I think it's found right here. Once we arise and say, I'm willing, nothing else I'm going to say the rest of the evening means anything. I'm, I'm pausing for effect there. So you can say, well, why am I here? But nothing else I'm going to say means anything if you're not willing to arise. I can tell you, God can inspire me to give you the greatest sources of information over the next little bit before we leave. And if you're still going to just sit and say, that was interesting. I'm not going to do anything about it, but it was interesting. Then it's all worthless. So it starts with arise and possess the promise. He said, let's do it. Where do we go? What do we do? And this is where you'll probably want to grab a pen or a paper or your phone and take 
your notes app or whatever it is, if you're a note taker, this is always, I'm a note taker, I'm somebody that always writes everything down, so it's always disheartening to me because I see about 40% of the people grab their stuff because they're note takers and notes, and everybody else is just like, yeah, that's not me. And my personality, and my personality type is like, why are they not grabbing the notes? Why are they not grabbing their phone? What's wrong with them? And the sanguines are like, I'm just happy everyone's here tonight. And the melancholies are like, wait, well, hang on, you missed a word. What was point four again? You know, the, the, brother, the people joke about people like me. Like, hey, now, if you're melancholy, don't freak out. I'll give you number four later. And it, I feel like they purposely skip, like, number four. I'm sitting there like, I can't even hear the rest of what you're talking about because you went from three to five. Give me number four. I promise you I will get you all five tonight before you leave. So look back at our text. It says, Deuteronomy 10, 10, 12, it says, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Because he requires something. But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, with I, which I command thee this day for thy good. When God commands you of something, when he requires something of you, this is where, again, in the 21st century, people, oh, legalistic, blah, blah, blah. You go to that church, they, they teach that, they make you do that. Listen, okay, nobody is going to meet you at the door. And I, I, saw, a, I saw a bulletin board once at a church, not in our organization, denomination, I just saw it. And it said, donation statements from the last year. And it, like, had everyone's name. I mean, that'd be, whoa, <laughs> Imagine walking in and the bulletin board next week just gives your donations for the past year. Like, you know, no, nobody's going to do that. Like, oh, let's check your donations. Let's check your clothes. Uh, I have a camera installed in your house. What have you been watching? Like, that's not what we're called to do between you and God. But if he gives a requirement, the requirement is there because he has something for you. The requirement is there because he says, I want to take you from where you are now to where I want you to be, but that's a process, and I have to do a little bit of molding and shaping in the meantime, and in order to get to where I want you to be, there are some requirements that I have, and I don't give, he doesn't give us that because he's just like, oh, I just want to keep them in, in bondage. No, he delivered them out of bondage, but he had a place for them, but he had requirements for them. And that's why scripture says that he, the requirements are there. That, that question mark, though, notice that verse 13. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 ends with a question mark. Which I command thee this day for thy good. That seems like an exclamation point or a period. To keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for, for thy good? Reads a little bit different. What's with the question mark? Everybody see that? The question mark is there for us, for humankind, because God wants his people to possess the promise. But the question mark is whether or not we will actually obey and follow his commands. This is my plan, but question mark, will you arise? Will you do what I'm getting ready to give you? 
I have requirements, and here's the great thing about God. God never gives requirements without making them crystal. He, Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit. Here's what's going to happen if you do. Here's what's going to happen if you don't. Noah, you got to build that boat. Here's what's going to happen if you do. Here's what's going to happen if you don't. Abraham, I want you to be circumcised, and it's a circumcision, a spiritual thing too, but it's a physical thing, and it's be a part of the covenant. Here's what's going to happen if you do. Here's what's going to happen if you don't. David, go up and take the battle. If you don't do it, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's not going to happen. And it just goes on into the New Testament. If you want to receive New Testament, God's plan for salvation, here's my plan. Here's what happens if you do. Here's what happens if you don't. He's always had here. He's always made his requirements very clear. Very clear. And so it ends in a question mark. Hey, I keep the commandments, the statutes, which I give you for your good. It, question mark, it's on you. I don't know if you're going to do it. I'm getting ready to give it to you just like I always do throughout all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, but it's on you. I just wish God would forgive me. I wish God would take care of my sin. He already took care of your sin. It's a question mark now. The question mark is not on him. He, he, he robed himself in flesh, died on a cross. He shed blood. He already paid the price for every sinful thing that you've been a part of. The question mark is will you now follow the requirements that he has for your life? And so the passage states that God wants what God wants for them. He makes it clear. So he starts off, verse 12. It says, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But, first thing, to fear the Lord. Number one, to fear the Lord. This is a special awe and respect toward God. I would like to think that I make a lot of mistakes, but I would like to think that if the preacher went up the mountain that was just quaking and uh, in a cloud descending on it and God was doing all this stuff, that I wouldn't help build a golden calf and start worshiping false gods while the preacher's hearing from God up on the mountain. I would like to think maybe I'd be better than that, but who knows? We're human, right? I would like to think that I had a, a fear of God. Now, sometimes people say, well, you don't want to fear God. Yeah. That's a healthy balance. The Bible's a book of balance. I don't think that we should come in and go, I can't go into the church because if God knew what I did, he's going to, I hear this all the time, the ceiling will split open. If the ceiling splits open, it's because it's an older building. It's not because of God. God forbid some guest comes in and we actually do have a roof problem that day. <laughs> but we, I don't think we should come in and be like, God, it's me. You know, like, God forbid, chances are some of you, you may have been abused by a parent. That's not the God we serve. We don't have to walk and every time God raises his hand and be, I don't have to live in that fear. But I also don't think we walk in and be like, yo, what's up, God? How's it going? There has to be an element of, God, you're my friend, my, my father, my savior. But you're also the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the judge. You're the ruler. You are the supreme justice in my life and in the whole universe. You are everything. And so 
I want to have a healthy reverence and respect. These are all things, see. So they, that's what God wanted from them. God promised long life and blessing to the patriarch and his family if they obeyed this first step. Deuteronomy 6.2 says, fear the Lord thy God. Keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee. God expected a fear, not, again, not like, I'm totally afraid, I don't want to go, like, but a reverence, a respect, an awe. And sometimes the songs we sing and the messages we preach make him so personal that we don't think twice to just use his name in vain, skip meetings, not talk to him, like, he'll just be there. We're still called to the, the fear of the Lord, the reverence, the awe, the respect. Even years later, we find this happening over and over with King David. First Kings 15, 1 Kings 15.1, it says, The 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned, uh, reigned Abijam over Judah. And three years reigned in he Jerusalem, or he in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Machah. The daughter of Abishalom. Next time I'm going to have somebody else read this. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything he commanded him all the days of his life, save in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Do you know you find in the Old Testament the phrase, for my servant David's sake, over and over and over and over and over again? I mean, literally, they're, they're, they're making false gods, acting like knuckleheads, being crazy, and God would just keep doing things for my servant David's sake. You want to know why? Because David, he gives us a little bit of a secret in some of his writing. In Psalm 25, 14, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he will show them his covenant. God is a covenant God, but he doesn't enter into covenant with someone who does not respect and reverence who he is. So the first thing that God wants us to do is reverence, awe, respect him. Now, the second thing comes in that verse. It says to fear the Lord and then what? To walk in all his ways in Deuteronomy 10, 12. To walk in all his ways. Is that 10, 12 or the fear of the Lord? Yeah, walk in all his ways. Again, this was nothing new to the people. Deuteronomy 5.33 says, you shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God hath commanded you. This wasn't a new thing. Moses was reiterating things that have been, that's why I know sometimes people say, you have already preached, I've heard you preach. You know, I've had people say, you say the same things in the pulpit all the time. Hey, I'm going to stop saying the same things when everybody starts doing them. But we need to get some of these things down. And so what he says, you shall walk in all the ways. It always amazes me when the children of God will disobey a principle of God. And then they get in a bad spot 
And they wonder why God's not blessing them. And that's when I get called into counsel, and I'm like, well, did we do this? No, but do we do this? Yes, but he's a God of grace. I understand, but he's also a God of principle. He's a God of requirements. And so if God says, I want you to do this, and you choose not to do it, then he withholds that in certain cases. And then when we say, where is God? It seems like God's taking me through hell. No. He actually didn't want you to go that way. That's why he laid out the requirements. You chose not to follow them. So now you're calling on... But Israel did this over and over again. They would cry out to God every time they got in a jam. And God would say, all you got to do is repent. All you got to do is do what I said. All you got to do is follow it. But in some cases, especially like when it comes to finances, that takes a lot of faith. It's like, oh, I'm just, I follow in that and that and that. But that, that one's a big one. But he gets in our face and says, prove me. Follow. Prove me. Watch what I will do. And so it's a challenge that, that if we follow him. And so, you know, I'll have people say, oh, people, 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 isn't it so often the case? People who make really bad decisions are the ones that say, I have the worst luck. And I'm like, it's not always luck. Sometimes it just was a really bad decision. If you drove your car and the red light and the yellow light was on for the fuel tank for the last 50 miles, and you just have the worst luck because you ran out of gas. No, you're just lacking common sense or discipline. Just pull over and get some fuel. You don't have to spiritualize this like, God, keep taking me through the fire. I have the worst luck. No, actually, you've just had a gas light on for 50 miles. That's not the worst luck. Uh, somebody's feeling convicted right now because you do that. The same people not taking notes tonight. Oftentimes, our current situation is a culmination of our previous choices. This has nothing to do with luck and everything to do with obedience. Israel did this type of thing. He would give them clear commands. Follow it. They'd call him, slide away, come back. But God is calling you and I to walk in his promises, in his commands. He's to move forward to him. Forward is not a destination. It's more determination that I'm moving, running, shuffling, sometimes falling crawling, but I'm moving forward. Let your heart and mind be open to new challenges, new growth in God. You might feel saved right now. Oh, I'm fine, but keep growing, keep walking, keep following the commands of God. The Bible talks in the last day, there'll be a great falling away. Determine you will not be the person to fall away. Don't be so conceited that we think everybody else is going to fall away, but it's not going to be me. No. Put up the guard. No. God says in the last day there will be a great falling away. I will not be that person. And then verse 12, as he says, to walk in all their ways and to love him. It's kind of sad. It's kind of sad to me. Do you know we say this in marriage, to love, honor, and cherish? I mean, if we're getting married, do we really need to, to take a covenant that says, I'm going to love you? 
if I said, will you, will you marry me? Like I did on New Year's Eve in Times Square as the ball dropped. And I'd do it all over again. If you've never heard that story, I'd love to tell it. She tells me I tell it too long. She could tell it in two seconds. I take 20 minutes. If you've got time, see me after. But do I really, when I say, will you marry me? And she says, yes. And then, and then you would think, like, if you don't love me, then you probably wouldn't say yes. And I probably wouldn't ask you if I didn't love you. So it's sad that we have to say you have to love. But yet here we see God saying, hey, you want to go and possess the promise? You got to love me. Because you can't always line out. 613 commands he gave them in the Old Testament. And it still wasn't enough. It's because you can't legalize love. You can't you can wear this, act this, talk this, do this, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, but go here, go here, do more of that, don't do so much of that. You can't do it. There's certain things that you say. I can say, be in church, go to church. The Bible says we got to be in church, come to church Sunday, make sure you're there Sunday, Sunday. We need to worship. We need to. It, it, it doesn't do anything if you don't love him. True obedience to God is born out of a love for him. And so I can preach every message, but if you don't love him, that's why in marriage counseling sometimes people are just like, well, I've fallen out of love. Well, that's a whole nother deal. Anyway, if you don't love someone, I can tell you we got to do this, do this, make sure you don't do that. It, it, it's like a church. It's like preaching. We, it doesn't do anything if there's not love. So God says, you want to possess the promise? Love me. 6.5, Deuteronomy 6.5 says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thy soul, with all thy might. That sounds like a pretty passionate love. You want to go places in God? Just love him. You need to worry about worship and tithing and serving and ministry and holiness and so. No, you love God, all that, that will follow. Because I love him so much and I want so bad to please him. In his word, God straight up says, I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. He also says, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. That sounds like that ball's in our court. Have you ever thought about this? We can be as close to God as we want. But how much of ourselves are we willing to give? We can be as close to God as we want. But how much of ourselves are we willing to give? So fear the Lord. Walk in his ways. Love him. And the fourth thing is found at the end of 12. It says, serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. The word serve is not too prestigious. I'm looking for some servants for this Sunday. Uh, it's not too prestigious. When you look through the Bible, what do you find? The people who were most used by God were the greatest servants. Matthew 23, 11, and 12, the greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
I want to be great for God, then I need to be a servant. Serve. What if his plan for your day tomorrow doesn't match up with your plan for your day tomorrow? Who's the master and who's the servant? What if his plan for our weekend doesn't match up with, what if his plan doesn't match up with our plan for our weekend? And by the way, it's very few and far between that I think God's plan doesn't include a corporate worship gathering. What if the ministry I see a need for isn't prestigious and maybe no one will notice? Well, I'm called to serve. When we serve Christ, we won't always find some things comfortable. But we do it because at the end of the day, it's not really about me. It's about him. It's about his kingdom. I have been bought and paid for with a price, Scripture says. And if we want to arise and go to that place of promise and possess the promise God has, this is a key and integral step of understanding where I fit in. I'm not called to be the master. I'm called to be the servant. Fear the Lord. Walk in his way. Love him. Serve him with our all. And lastly, verse 13, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command thee this day for thy good. Again, it's not for anything else but for your own good. I remember when my dad used to punish me and say, Gary, this is for your own good. I'm like, I don't know, this guy's joking. I don't know what he's, he's crazy. There's nothing good coming out of this moment. <laughs> Pulled out the wooden paddle. It said, never spank a child in the face. Nature provides a better place. I memorized that thing. And I turned out okay, so I think. But he says, keep the commandments and statutes. God's asked us for things, and he has laid out principles before us. And if we ever want to get to a great place of promise and possess the promise, we have to be willing to obey. The backbone of worship, the backbone of worship is not just a praise team or a song on the side. The backbone of worship is obedience. How can I say, Lord, I worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but on Sunday at 10, 15. So my whole life is worship. I obey you. I walk in your principles and commands because Obedience, I've heard it said, obedience is the love language of God. And you know what I find interesting about these five things we're wrapping up here tonight? They are interwoven in one another. For instance, if I'm not willing to set aside my selfishness to be a willing servant for Christ, I most likely will not be willing to obey his commands and his statutes because I'm not willing to serve because I'm the master and I have a plan for this weekend, so I'm not even coming to church. And, and, I, and, and so if, if, if I don't love him, I'm not going to obey him. If I don't obey him, I'm not going to serve. You see how all these, they, they, they're all interwoven together, but they're separate things. Because obedience requires 
setting aside selfishness. Love often requires setting aside selfishness. If you're married, you're familiar with that. Love is setting aside selfishness. Because I have a newsflash. If you don't know this, guess how many selfish people are in this room tonight? I kind of did it under my coat. We're all selfish. Every one of us. Don't turn your mic on yet, please. Every single one of us are selfish. It is our nature. When my ways don't line up with his... This is, this is deep yet so simplistic. When my ways don't line up with his, I have to choose. Ministry, your finances, your time, your service, your prayer life, church attendance, all this. When my ways don't line up with his, I have to choose. And what comes naturally is what brings me joy. And sometimes when you, when you choose God, it will always be the most joyful experience of your life. It's not like, oh man, go to Disney World or walk on glass. I guess I gotta go with God. No. But sometimes... Choosing what God has is a denial of flesh. But in doing that, we elevate ourselves into a place in Him where we can possess things that we could not otherwise possess by just feeding the flesh. And so if I don't have the heart of a servant, I probably won't be willing to live in obedience either. Fear to the Lord. Walk in his ways. Love him. Serve him with all you got. And keep his commandments. But just like Moses, he came to the people and he gave them this message from God, but the first word was not fear the Lord, was not walk in his ways, love God. It was So I'm inviting you right now at the end of this message to do just that, to arise. Arise in a literal physical sense, of course. But also to arise in your heart, in your spirit, in your determination. Chances are maybe all five of these things are speaking to you. Maybe only one or two of them. Maybe you're like, man, I fear God. I walk in his ways. I love him. I feel like I've been serving him with my whole life. And maybe you look at those and say, you know what? I don't feel like I've been loving him like I should. I feel like I say things, but my actions are speaking a different, different language. God, help me. I want, to love, I, want to, I want you to know I love you, Jesus. 
And so I invite you to arise like you've done, but arise in your heart and mind too and, and to find a place to pray this evening before you leave. Maybe you're praying about all five things. We're going to leave this slide up for a little bit. Maybe you're praying about all five things. Maybe it's one, two, three. But if you want to possess the promise, if you want to go to the place that God has for you, you can't just keep driving on an empty fuel light and saying, he keeps taking through, you know, through all this stuff. No. If you want to be blessed and anointed and called by God, at some point, you've got to align your life with his commands, with his principles. For some of us, we just need to fall back in love with Jesus. Maybe we're already in love with Jesus. We've got to protect that so that that love never wanes or never, never fades. Because, you know, just like in marriage, if you just say, well, I told you I love you on my wedding day, I'll let you know if it changes. Yeah, that's, that don't work. We got to be doing things that fan the flame, as Paul told Timothy. And God, I want you to know I love you tonight. I love you so much. I don't need 613 commands. I want to align my life because first and foremost, I love you, Jesus. And so I invite you to just find a place to pray tonight. And contemplate these things in your heart as you as you talk directly to him.